morning. How are you? Lovely. May 2-4, long weekend. Yeah, church, means you're in a really good place. No better place than Muskoka to be on the long weekend, my opinion. Anybody here visiting? Any visitors coming from with family? Well, if you don't want to put your hand up, I get it. Great to have you. Great to see you. Over the past few months, our, so my name is Marshall. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries. I run the youth group, Young Adults, and we oversee some of the Harvest Kids. But specifically in our youth, over the past few months since January, we've been looking at this series called Release Your Worship. How do we release our worship? What does it look like when we meet Jesus, when we actually come to a saving faith in Christ? What does it look like to actually live out that part of our life? And we looked at different stories. We've looked at the story of Zacharias, the rich man, the woman with the evil spirit, uh, the woman caught in sin who was about to be stoned, Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And when I was here a few weeks ago, we preached on the bleeding woman um, and just how that interaction with Jesus just changes everything. It changes you. It changes the story that we look at. So it's, it's fascinating to look at these stories and look at how people interact with Jesus and then kind of look at ourselves and our lives and our culture and what we're going through and what our interaction, interactions with Jesus are like. Today we're going to look at one of these stories, a fascinating story. One about a guy named Bart, Bartimaeus. We don't call people Bartimaeus anymore. We shorten it down to Bart or Bartholomew. We're going to look at his story of his value in culture and how Christ sees him and how incredible this story is. But before we do that, let's just pray. Jesus, we're thankful that you would come here this morning, that everybody here is here by your intention, by your design, by your sovereign plan. God, I pray this, that as I speak, that it's not Marshall's words that are heard, it's not my anecdotes, but God, it's just your message, your word to our hearts that we need it this morning. God, so I, I would pray that if people are here, that they would pause that they would pause this morning in the midst of a hectic weekend or a crazy, uh, busy life and work or family, that we would pause and ask you this, what do you have to say to me this morning? What is your word for us today? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Mark 10. If you don't have a Bible in front of their seat, there should be one. You can ask your neighbor if it's not in front of you. There's a blue Bible. If you would like it to go home with, please help yourself. We're going to read Mark 10, 46 to 52. says this, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, followed him along his way. So before we even get into this story, I want to cover something that I find fascinating about this. So there are commentaries or questions about actually this story because it's in the Synoptic Gospels. So it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in those Gospels, and there's something that's a little bit different in those, in those recordings. So some people look at the recordings and say, is there an error? Is there a mistake? Is there a problem with God's Word because it's recording something differently? We want to cover that ground really quickly because it's actually quite awesome to see 
Uh, in Mark, you'll see they said, as they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, this story happened. In Luke, it oddly says something a little bit different. Luke 18.35, it says, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. And then in Matthew 21, it says, as they went out of Jericho. So it seems weird that one gospel is saying, as he came into Jericho, and the other two are saying, as he came in, then as he left, and then as he came in. So this is a bit strange, but just to cover it, this is kind of awesome, because what archaeology has done is once over and over and over it just verifies God's word through times where people are saying this is wrong and then archaeology uncovers something so this is neat there's actually two Jerichos the Old Testament Joshua and the battle of Jericho which fell and crumbled and not even a mile away less than that was the second Jericho a New Testament Jericho which was started by like Herod the Great and other kings so it was built in sections so there's people living in both of these Jerichos And you could literally be coming out of Jericho and be going into Jericho at the same time. Isn't that kind of fascinating, right? It's neat to see that this isn't a mistake. He's, as he's coming in and as he was going out of Jericho, I think they could come up with better names. They went with Jericho, love the name. So that's why we have some of those understandings. If If it seems like it doesn't understand or it doesn't make sense, that's why he's coming in and going out of Jericho. Now that's off the table, let's continue. We have... We have to look at the context of what's happening here. And some of this is going to be a little bit repeated if you are at the story of the bleeding woman. But that's okay because we're looking at the same situation here. We've got to get an understanding of what's happening. Jericho, so we have Jericho, we have Jerusalem, and in between was Bethany. Just a few days before this event, Lazarus was raised from the dead in Bethany. So it's kind of a big deal. It's probably really well known that Jesus is traveling between these points and he's, he's actually at the end of his miracles ministry. So at this point, he's very public. You'll notice at the start of Christ's ministry, he's not as public. But at this point, he's very public with his teaching, his healing. He's moving thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of people have seen what Christ has done. They're flocking into the scene. They've seen what Christ has done. And their word is getting out. And if you flip backwards, normally with our students, they'll say, let's just look where we're at. We can flip backwards. Here's some of the things that Christ has done so far. If we look through Mark, he's healed the paralytic. He's cast out demons. There's the woman at the well, the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, walking on water, many, many more. Lots of things have happened at this point. Because it says at verse 46, there was a great crowd. There was a great crowd. This is actually significant because Jerusalem is where Jews would travel to go to the Passover. So this is like a week away, maybe even closer than that to the Passover. So people are traveling in hordes towards Jerusalem. So we're talking about a very serious crowd. In fact, there's a short story about a little guy named Zacchaeus. He's the one climbing the tree right now, and this is that scene. He's trying to look over these hordes of crowds because he just wants to get an eye of Jesus. That's the same scene we're in here. So uh, Zacchaeus is there, Bartimaeus is there, and in this crowd... In fact, I feel like it's a little bit of our church DNA, a little bit of our church mix-up. Like, who's here this morning? In this crowd, it would have been disciples, it would have been believers, deniers, it would have been Pharisees, it would have been curious onlookers, curious. What is Jesus doing? What is he going to do? People not sure about their faith, people unsure about who Jesus is. We have this group of people here in hordes, and everybody's just kind of following just to see what's going to happen next. That's when we have Bart entering the scene. Bart is, is, is a fascinating character. We have very little on him at the start, but we have enough to get an idea. He's blind. We can see he's blind, that he's a beggar, that he's on the road. Later it says he has a cloak. He's got a cloak. 
He's blind. He's a beggar. So picture with me. Take a minute. Picture what we have here. We have this scene in the middle of Jerusalem, dusty, dry, hot, hordes of people, lots of clamoring. And then we've got this guy who is blind and begging in the gravel with his cloak on. And think in your position, if you were blind in the same position, you'd be like, what is happening here? What is going on in here? What is all this commotion? So in verse 47, you see someone in the crowd yells out, it is Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth, and then he begins to cry out. This is just awesome. I'm going to pause it there for a second. It says cry out. The actual Greek word there is kradzo. I don't know how Greek people talk. Do this all the time. That's my guess. Kradzo. I don't know how to pronounce it. So kradzo is, is a word that literally means scream. It's like this deep, deep, desperate scream. And if you actually look at the word, that word later on, we can go to Mark, and you'll see the exact same word in Mark 15. They're using the same kradzo, the same word for crucify him. Like that same big, deep, either angry or desperate scream from your heart. Crucify him. Crucify him. So this is the same word. This isn't like a fan shout out. It's not like, hey, I'm over here. Look at me. This isn't like a whoop and a holler. This is a big, giant, desperate plea for someone to look. And what does he scream? Well, he hears, in the text you'll see, he hears it's Jesus of Nazareth. It's not what he screams, though. He hears Jesus of Nazareth, and through this horde of people, through this great crowd, this low, nobody, missing, blind, quiet, unloved man starts to scream from the depths of everything he has, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son, you see what he did? He changed it. He heard Jesus of Nazareth, but then he does something different. He had Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus replaces the title that, he's been, that he heard, and he gives the proper title to Jesus, what all Jews would use for the coming Messiah. He calls him son of David. Son of David just meaning the coming Messiah, chosen one, God, my king. That's what, that's what Bartimaeus does. He puts in the title that the Jews would use for the coming Messiah. Jesus, coming Messiah, king, God, please hear me. Have mercy on me. Step, like, just pause here and think back about Bart. Think about his position here. Think about who he is. Uh, we talked previously about how the Pharisees or the Jewish culture would view people living in illness or sickness. They would actually see it as a penance for sin. So this guy from them, they, he doesn't deserve any mercy. So if you're a Jew, if you're a Pharisee walking by, you, he doesn't deserve my mercy. That's their, that's their opinion. This is a penance for his sin in his life. This is what he deserves. That's how he's viewed. So he's not loved, not cherished, not cared for. He's expelled. He's rejected. He's despised, alone, broken, hungry, begging. He has nothing. He's at the bottom of a human ladder. And hordes of crowds are just spilling past him. In fact, when we look at Jesus, when he talks about the Pharisees, when he says, it's like the blind leading the blind. That's such a deep slur. Like it would be so hurtful for them to hear it. He's telling the Pharisees, you're like the sinful leading the sinful. You're the cursed leading the cursed. Because that's how they're viewing blind people. 
Look what happens in 48. It says, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here we can see, like, this, this, is, this drives me nuts here a little bit. Like, all these people are following Jesus. They're following Jesus. Why are they following Jesus? Because they know he does miracles. They know he does things. He feeds the, the thousands. He does these crazy miracles. So everybody's gathering around in hordes, following him as he walks from town to town. And then we have this blind guy who has nothing, who is broken and sitting on the roadside, begging. And he's calling out for mercy from this healer or this rabbi or this Messiah. People aren't sure. And what do they do? They rebuke him and they tell him to be silent. Like, I, I am desperately needing healing, please. Enough! Be quiet. Sit down. We've got something going on here. Church, this morning, this is like, this is a reflection for me. Just, just this, like I, just this little tiny verse. This man begging for help, and then there's this, there's this rebuke from the people following Jesus. Like, I follow Christ. I follow Jesus. They're, they're passing by the needy. Are we passing by the needy? Are we passing by the desperately sick? Are we passing by the hungry? Are we passing by those who are just desperately reaching out, who are, who are asking for mercy? Our focus is so much, often we're glued on what the next miracle might be or what the next blessing in our life might be, what will ever satisfy my own beliefs, my own, my own calling. And I'm, I'm so desperate to see what I want to see from God so desperate about my following that I've actually missed my calling. Like rebuking the ones that just need Jesus. Move out of the way. Move out of the way. You're, 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 too, you're too much in my life. I wanna, I'm on ministry road. I'm, I'm busy following Jesus. Just get out of my way. You're too much for me right now. And then the story just gets better and better. I'm going to meet Bart someday. I'm going to tell him this is my favorite part. Because this is such a cool part of the story. It just says, but he cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy. Like a, a lifetime of being an outcast. A lifetime of being unloved. A lifetime of having nothing actually has prepared him for this moment. So in the middle of rebuke and mock and shutting down, he's just like, whatever. I'm going to call out all the more. So he gets louder. I can't get louder on you. I'm sorry. He gets louder. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Louder. Nothing stops this guy. Rebuke doesn't crush him. There's no timidity in this guy. He's just desperate for what Jesus can and will do. He shrugs him off. And louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus just stops. Look at, the, look at 49. Jesus just stops. Like you, if you're there, if you're in that moment, this is like an awesome movie scene where, where everybody goes in slow motion and the sound is pulled back. And maybe you hear like the shuffling of feet, the quiet murmuring in the crowd as Jesus is walking and he just stops and everybody gasps and wonders, what is this going to be like? And he 
he just looks at this blind beggar who's in the corner on the gravel sitting down screaming for Jesus. And Jesus Christ, the king of all creation, just looks at him and says, call him. Just call him. And then they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. This part also drives me crazy. The same ones that are like, quiet, sit down, get out of here, we're busy, Jesus is going to do something. The minute Jesus says, call him, they're like, oh man, we're going to get something here. Get up, take heart, come see Jesus. Like, who are you? How fast do you shift? It's just like all about us so much of the time. Like, oh, I'm going to be in the presence of something great. I get to see something happen. Oh, get up, take heart. That just, that just drives me nuts. But 50, love this guy. Bart is awesome. 50, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He's blind. He just throws everything off. He gets up and he runs to Jesus. 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, Go on your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. There's so much immediacy in these stories. You'll see this immediate thing. This immediate thing. There's an immediacy to Jesus. When, he, when you reach out and you call and you ask, he immediately heals. Just like this amazing grace. What do you want me to do for you? So it's a wild question. And in fact, Jesus keeps doing this. You see this consistently in the way Jesus interacts with people. He asks questions with on the outside. And we're like, well, if you're the king of all creation, you know everything. Why are you asking a blind guy? What does he want? It seems obvious to us, but it's actually not very obvious to us. He's asking Bartimaeus' question for a reason. But here's another example of the same question. If you went back to Mark 10, 37... Jesus asked the question of the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what their answer was? These followers of Christ, their answer was, we want to sit on the left and right hand side of God, of Jesus in glory. They wanted authority. They want like privilege. They want elevation. So maybe this is more than just actually what do you want? Maybe this is a deeper question like asking, hey, what do you actually want from me? Jesus is asking, what do you want from me? What are you looking to get from me? What do you want? from me church this is a really good question there's a chance that maybe he's asking you this morning if you're if you're questioning faith if you're thinking about your faith he's like what do you want what do you want from jesus this morning do you want money do you want authority do you want revenge for those who wronged you bartimaeus do you want revenge for those who wronged you do you want control or comfort do you want to feel vindicated or or holier than others do you want to kick back at the pharisees what do you want this is actually a deeper question than the surface of blindness it's what do you what does your heart want what is your heart looking for if jesus asked you right now what do you want what would be your what would be your answer what would be your answer bartimaeus says this he says master rabbi just let me recover my sight. I think he's saying, I want to see you. Of all the things a beggar could be asking, he says, I just want to recover my sight. Jesus responds to, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is an awesome request, followed by an awesome response, followed with an amazing action. What do you want? Master, I just want to see. 
and go on your way. His faith has made you well. Go on your way. What does Bartimaeus do? He follows him. That's his way. I think he didn't need to ask for all those things that the world would ask for because he knew when he recovered his sight what he was going to do. He was going to follow his king. Follow the one that would restore his sight, his heart, his life. He didn't need money, power, vindication. He didn't need to prove the Pharisees were wrong. He just wanted to follow Jesus. Amen. So Bartimaeus shows us like this, and I, I think this is what I lack. Maybe I can't speak for you, but this, this deep, I just lack this level of humility. Like when I, when I, when I pray and ask God for blessings, I always label them. I put like the wants ahead of time and just said it, just saying like, I just want to follow you. So just give me what I need. Just give me what I need to be able to follow you. And this is what he does. He leaves behind his cloak. He leaves behind his illness. And he just gets up, runs towards Christ, and then follows him. He seemed to be one of the last that we know of disciples that would follow Christ before he walked directly towards the cross. And I ask you this. For some of us that have claimed Christ to be our God. This is a serious question. It's one I wrestle with when I'm writing it out, but have you ever lost sight of the cross? Like his, his question was, his request to God was, let me, let me recover my sight. He must have had sight maybe at some point, but let me recover my sight. Have you ever lost sight of the cross? Maybe, maybe in your life you've come across your own sin pattern, your frustrations, your needs, wants, desires, this this light, this life has caused you to lose sight of the cross, of his plan, of his message, of his healing, of his redemptive power that you've already experienced in your life. I can't tell you how many times, how many times I've lost sight of the cross because I pursued pleasures of this world or temptations of this world or things that I think will satiate my joy, which will make me happy, things that will cause me to feel fulfilled. How many times have I lost sight of the cross because I'm chasing everything worldly? So I've always loved that hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, glory and grace. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, a better question when we're, when we're talking to God is, is, what is what is your purpose in my suffering? Can you give me sight to that? Let me see what your purpose in my suffering is. What is your plan in my waiting? What is, where is your power in my weakness? Where is your glory in my salvation? What is your purpose for me? God, help me to see. There's, there's four things. If you're a note taker, I'm not usually a pointer, but I got four points. So if you do take notes, grab your pen. If you don't, use the back of an envelope. Maybe Jerry Neal at my pen. Use the back of an envelope. Stick it in your Bible. Four points this morning about what Bartimaeus did when he encountered Christ. first thing he did was he cried out. Verse 47. What I love about Bartimaeus is even though he's totally broken in that culture, totally unloved, he has no authority and zero power. He is not a timid guy. For me, that's a sweetness because I know when I have the spirit that I don't have a spirit of timidity. So we see him in the midst of his brokenness and blindness and downtrodden, outcast, homer beg, 
homeless beggar, he just sees his need for Jesus and he cries out as much as he can, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. We see him scream, we see him cry out from the depths, Jesus, I just, I just need your mercy. Nothing's working. Life isn't figuring itself out. I can't do anything right. I'm blind and I'm broken and I'm begging and I'm just desperate for your mercy. And my question for you now, if you're thinking through this, where are you right now? Where are you right now? Have you ever been at this place or are you at this place now? Can you relate to this blindness that maybe it's not your actual sight, but maybe it's your heart posture? Or maybe you are, you're, you're stuck deep in your sin and you can't see your way out. Maybe you're so deep in debt, you can't figure your way out. Maybe you're, you're so fallen into bitterness and anger towards someone and you can't, you just can't get out of it. Your, your heart is stuck. Maybe you're your marriage is broken and hurting and everything you tried, you just can't see how it's ever going to be restored or fixed. Or maybe there's, there's mental health or disease in your life or there's loneliness and anxiety and, and suffering and you just can't see how to get out of it. You're just stuck in this moment of life. Are you willing to say, Jesus, Son of God, just have mercy on me. Let me regain my sight. Let me, let me see you again. Let me see you. Let me see what you can do. Let me, let me remind myself of the gospel story where I was broken and lost in sin and you came and restored me. Have you called to Jesus in a desperate plea and turned your focus on him? Number two, he pressed in. This is this like awesome persistence in this guy. Just this persistence. And I, I just, I, I love how he, I don't know, I, I visualize this story and I just see a man that's so broken and desperate for Jesus. And I visualize that in my life and wonder how persistent I am. Because church, I want to promise you something. You will feel rejection and rebuke. You'll feel silenced when you're in your most painful moments. Church, we're going to fail you. Family's going to fail you. You'll feel that sting of rejection. And, and, and it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he just shouts out all the more. When you cry out to Jesus, hear the, hear the promise of a world that we're living in that is broken. Distractions are going to come. So please, just cry out all the more. Discouragement is going to come. Press in and cry out all the more. Doubt, that comes. Maybe in waves or maybe it comes like a storm. It's going to come in. Just, just press in. Be persistent. Cry out all the more, and, and people or family or church or friends, they're going to come and rebuke and crush and destroy and humiliate you. Don't let this stop you. Just, just cry out all the more. Just cry out all the more. Don't let discouragement stop you from being persistent to God and cry out and beg God, show me your mercy. Just recover my sight. Third, he tossed his cloak. Really like this idea it stands in so much contrast to the rich young ruler. So the rich young ruler walks up to Jesus, is aware of who he is. Like he has a belief in who Jesus is, but he's not willing to set aside his idols. He's not willing to set aside everything he has to follow the one who will give him eternity. So there's this, this scene where the rich man walks away. Bartimaeus does the opposite. He actually throws everything he has. Now a cloak may not seem a lot to much, much to a lot, <laughs> one of those ways. But there is this, 
Like, think of yourself as a beggar in Jerusalem. It's super hot at the day. It protects you from the heat. Super cold at night in the desert. It protects you from the cold. Sandstorms protects you from sunburn. It protects you from everything. This is all he's got. He's a beggar. He's got a cloak. It's the only earthly possession. But he just, it just means nothing to him. He just, he just like throws it off and the hordes of the people and runs towards Jesus. So the question I have to ask myself is what am I holding on to? Like if, if Christ is calling me saying, hey, come, come, he says, call him. What am I holding on to? What is my comfort? What is my safety? What is, what is the protection in my life that I'm clinging to as hard as I can for my own safety when Christ is telling me to come? What are the sins that I'm unwilling to toss aside? What parts of your marriage are you unwilling to relent on? What part of your, your own economy in life are you unwilling to give back to God? What are you unwilling to toss aside when Jesus says to come? Are you the rich one, young ruler who's going to walk away sad because you're not willing to toss aside Yahweh? There's too much for you to give up. Or are you like Bartimaeus, whatever you have, it's gone, it's not worth much. I mean, a cloak is similar to everything you own here on this earth. It's going to go away, it's all garbage. Reminds me of this song, all I once held dear, build my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. All that I once thought gain, I've counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to you. Knowing you, Jesus. Fourth one is this. He humbly asks. This isn't a name it and claim it situation here at all. This isn't about asking for what we need. It's about admitting to God what our needs actually are. It's not as though God doesn't know. It's not like we're introducing new information to God here. I'm sure Jesus saw his blindness. But we have to humbly ask. In fact, Isaiah 65, 24, it says he knows our prayers before they even come off our lips. We aren't bringing new information. We're just being obedient to God when he says, come and pray and call and talk. Present your prayers. Come humbly before him. Expose your weakness. Confess with your mouth that you're weak. You need mercy. The word of God says that God opposes the proud. How many want to stand in opposition to God? But when we hold in our hearts that we're strong enough, good enough, capable enough to deal with all this stuff on our own, that we got it, we got our sin, we can figure it out, we got our marriage, we, we've got the things in our lives that we can sort this out, we can do this on our own, then we've left no space or room for Christ to come in and do the transformation that we need him to do. We need to come humbly, humbly before the king and just say, God, I'm too blind, I can't see I need your help. I can't stand. Have mercy on me. If we can do these four points, we can go back in, but maybe not. If we can call out, if we can press in, if we can talk whatever is valuable to us, if we can humbly just ask God to recover our sight, you know what the response is? He immediately heals us. Like immediately he hears us. In the midst of us crying out, he stops and he calls us and he immediately heals us. There's a God here right now that knows you, that loves you, that sees everything, that knows everything. And he's like, I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm waiting. There's a couple questions. Do you know Jesus? Like, do you know Jesus? And I, I don't mean like, are you aware of who that is? Demons are aware of who that is. But do you know Jesus? 
Like you have a relationship with him. You recognize Jesus for who he is and for who he said he was. And, and part of this is if, if you don't, there's a chance that maybe this morning, often people say, well, I just don't fear him. I'll tell you, maybe he's calling you right now. Maybe that's what this experience is. Maybe he's calling you by the, by the reading of his word. Maybe there's something that he's trying to call you to draw him to yourself. But here, here's the thing. If you want to reach out to Jesus, ask for mercy. He'll heal you. Jump up, get off your feet, and run towards the promise. For those of us who know Jesus, maybe you've known him for decades. Maybe at times, similar to myself, you've lost sight of the cross because of what life has done to us and what we've come burdened under, what our sinful nature has come at us. And maybe we need this morning just to call out to Jesus and say, help me regain my sight of who you are, of what you do, of the gospel story in my life. Help me regain my sight so I can follow you. And following Christ isn't easy. There's so much that we have to do. We have a limited time. He's coming back. We got things to do, church. We got to get ready. We got things to do, stories to tell, gospel messages to give, but we got to follow Christ. So church, my call is that we would be persistent in prayer, that we would toss off our cloaks, whatever we're holding on to, and that we would cry out to Jesus desperately for him to heal us. So the worship team comes up. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. This is like a reminder of the gospel in our lives for those of us who maybe forgot a little bit. Maybe we forgot the amount of grace we've received. This might be a good morning as we sing this. Maybe not to crowd zone, maybe not to scream out with all you got, but maybe your heart will scream this morning, maybe louder than it has in the past. Jesus, Son of David, please just have mercy on me. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. We've been set free. If you can stand, let's just close in prayer. Jesus, we're thankful for all that you have done. God, we're thankful for this, this little story of this nobody in the middle of Jerusalem in the hordes of crowds that you would see. It reminds me that you can see me. You can see me. God, I pray that we would, in our desperation for you, that we would call out and just ask for your mercy, knowing that you are a God who heals and immediately you will restore us if our hearts are willing to release those things of the world that would hold on to them. God, give us mercy this morning. Give us grace. Give us a reminder of the hope we have in you. God, thank you so much. We just thank you so much. In your perfect name, amen.